Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs. In this episode of Conversations, Oscar and I had the privilege to learn the story of Billy Ray Licker. Billy Ray played for the Wildcats under Coach Rupp from 1958 to 1961. And prior to him joining the Wildcats, he led the Lafayette Generals to the 1957 state championship. He was also crowned Kentucky Mr. Basketball that same year. Billy Ray had numerous accolades to his name, including being a husband and playing for Coach Rupp. We'll hear that story in a few. I'm Bo Robinson, and I invite you to listen in to conversations with Oscar Combs and Billy Ray Lickard. Today I have as my guest Billy Ray Lickard, a player who was homegrown here in Lexington, Kentucky, played for the great Ralph Carlisle's at Lafayette High School, Mr. Basketball, went on to start him at the University of Kentucky, played for Adolph Rupp, uh, now he enjoys his retirement with his grandchildren, children here in Lexington. Billy, good to have you today. Thank you. It's good to be here, Oscar. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your growing up days. You were born here in Lexington. Uh, you went to school at Lafayette High School. What was playing high school basketball like in the uh, In the 50s. 50s. That was a great time for high school basketball in the state of Kentucky. 1957, when we won a state championship at Lafayette, uh, that was the first year of really integration, first year that the traditional black schools played in the uh, Kentucky High School Athletic Association uh, tournaments, and uh, first year that Freedom Hall opened. And, uh, in fact, when we won the state tournament, uh, we beat Louisville Eastern, and Freedom Hall, as I said, was the first year it was open. We had over 18,000 people on that same night. Kentucky played Michigan State in Lexington in the NCAA tournament, and they had a crowd of 11 or 12,000 people in Memorial Coliseum. Did you play a lot of games in the Coliseum as a high school player at Lafayette? We what kind of crowds? Several. We played several. Coach Carlisle was big on it. Uh, I think it was a way to supplement his income a little bit that he would uh, put on double headers. And uh, so we played several double headers. In fact, we, we even played a regular season game when I was in the ninth grade against Clark County. And I was on the B team, what you used to call the B team in those days. And that was the first time I ever played in the Coliseum. I played in a B game against Clark County. Now, that's unheard of today that you could play a regular season game in a facility like the Coliseum. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your four years in high school at Lafayette and going into your senior year. That year, y'all had a pretty phenomenal run in the state high school tournament. Uh, 
you ended up being Mr. Basketball. What was it like cutting down the nets? Well, every year, uh, when I was at Lafayette, our goal was to win the state tournament. When we started the year, that's what Carlisle said. That's what we're shooting for, to win the state tournament. And that particular year, 1957, uh, we, uh, he said, if we're going to win the state tournament, we're going to have to beat Pikeville somewhere along the way. That's when Pikeville and John Bill Trivet were noted for their full court press. And he said, if we're going to win it, we're going to have to beat them. So we started practicing in October to beat Pikeville's press every day, practice. That wouldn't last long, but we would play five against six, five against seven, different things, to get ready to play Pikeville. And, uh, Did you play Pikeville that year? So we played Pikeville in the semifinals of the state tournament. So when you put that much into it, that every day you're – you're, and that was the advantage of playing Lafayette. You know, we had a realistic chance because Lafayette was a big school. You know, we had then, I don't know, 1,600 students or so. And so we had a realistic chance every year, basically, except my sophomore year, we weren't too good. But uh, uh, so when you put that much into it, and that's the goal, and that's what Coach Carlisle beat into us, you know, we want to win the state championship, and this is how we're going to do it. Now, at the end of the day, you ended up beating Louisville Eastern, I think, in the championship. You scored yeah. 26 points. I think that's right, Oscar. <laughs> I don't remember those details, Oscar. Let, let's switch over a little bit now to the recruiting process. Uh, when did you first think you were good enough to play major college ball, and was there other schools involved other than Kentucky? There were a few other schools, but a couple of factors. One, my dad worked for the university. So that, my sister went to school there, he went to school there. So I had a, and living in Lexington, going back when I was growing up, we lived across the street from the University of Kentucky campus. And uh, so I was a wild kid, every kid, Back in those days, if you, you know, you had aspirations of being able to play for Kentucky, that's what everybody, or all my friends did, wanted to do. What you did, didn't work, oh, excuse me. I tell you, quit. You didn't think about the NBA. Nobody ever heard of the NBA. Of course, in those days, when you were in grade school, your dream was to play at Lafayette, you know. Did, did you have an in-home visit from Coach Rupp? I don't think Coach Rupp ever visited my how how did how was your communication? Did you go visit him? Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of communication, Oscar. Uh, did they just mail you a, a letter of intent and a oh, scholarship? No, 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 no. Surely I, I can't remember. To be honest with you, but uh, 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 well, I can't. I, I I really can't remember an in-home visit. But surely I. You know, they'd come see me play, and they'd speak to me and talk to me. And then the other factor was Coach Carlisle. Now, Coach Carlisle and Coach Rupp weren't the biggest buddies in those days, but Coach Carlisle had played for Coach Rupp, and he told me early on, 
He said, the only place you're going to go to school is the University of Kentucky. You're not going anywhere else. So you graduate from Lafayette, or you're actually still going to school. You've been selected Mr. Basketball. You're going to play in the Kentucky-Indiana All-Star Game. But first, you're going to play in a national All-Star Game right. out of state. Right. And it was pretty uh, pretty well known back in those days that Coach Rupp didn't take a liking to married basketball players. You him off. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about what happened that weekend. Was it the weekend before you went to the All-Star Game out in, was it Kansas City? Yeah, Kansas. Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, well, I was selected to play in an All-American series of games out in Kansas. And I don't know if there were any All-American games before that or not. I don't know if that was – I think it was the first one. Now, they used to play that uh, North-South game down here in Murray, Kentucky, you know, where a lot of uh, college coaches would come to the North-South game. But anyway, the Kansas game uh, uh, or the – series of games. Well, what he's getting at, Oscar, what you're getting at, is I got married on a Saturday, and we didn't tell anybody. I didn't know I was getting married either, really, and I was going to go get a haircut. But some way, between here and Southland Drive, which is not very far, uh, Sue and I decided we'd go to Jeffersonville, Indiana, and get married. Why the urgency? <laughs> uh, if you're afraid you were going to find somebody out in Kansas on well, that series of games? Her, you'd have to ask her that, really. But there's <laughs> a period of time. My mother had died years before that. And so my sister kind of raised me along with my grandmother and a beloved maid that we had. And they spoiled me to death. But all that kind of ended. When high school ended, my sister got married and she moved away. My grandmother was getting older. And I don't know. I just, uh, we talked about it. We decided that's what we wanted to do. But uh, so Well, we now, tell us about your trip back from Louisville. Well, we didn't tell anybody. And so I spent a week in Kansas. I fly back to Louisville for the Kentucky-Indiana game. And we decided we better tell them after the game. So I told my dad on the floor at Freedom Hall that I'd gotten married. And you're talking about an awkward conversation. That was kind of awkward. And then we get in the car to ride back to Lexington with Sue's mother and father and sister. And so we pull out on the Waterson Expressway, which was then a new road in 1957. And I said, Mr. Pierce, you may want to pull over here. We've got something we want to tell you. So he pulls over to stop, and I said, uh, Sue and I got married two weeks ago. Well, nobody said anything. Nobody said, well, congratulations, or what the heck were you all thinking about, or nothing was said. And the only thing I heard was Sue's mother sitting in the front seat. She's going, So that's the way we started. But, and what did he say? Uh, he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. 
But they have to re- realize, I told you my mother died years before. Sue and I had known each other from the third grade. Back, uh, well, third grade. And uh, so I knew Sue's mother, and after my mother died, she was almost like a mother to me. So all during those years, now Sue and I didn't stay heavily involved with each other all those years, but for the most part we did. So now, what's your most recent wedding anniversary? Well, it'll be 60 next year. 60 next year. Yeah, yeah. We're working on 60. Uh, and now we're ready for the Kentucky Indiana All-Star Games, which really had a great deal of significance to the game of basketball in both states starting about that time. Well... That was the first year that anybody other than Ed Diddle, I think, coached the Kentucky All-Stars before they'd always had college coaches, and for the most part, I think it was Ed Diddle. And so somebody made a change, and they took, picked a high school coach. Well, they picked Ralph Carlisle. We'd won the state championship, and it's got a natural uh, to pick him. And... Uh, uh, and gave him the opportunity to pick a couple of players. Now, the selection of the team, I'm not sure. You and I have talked about this before. I'm not sure how that was constructed. But Coach Carlisle did get the opportunity to pick, I think it was, two players. And uh, so the big thing leading up to that game was, of course, Indiana dominated the series. Coach Carlisle said, uh, if we don't beat Indiana – I can't remember if it was the game at Freedom Hall or at least one of the two games, says, I'll eat a doorknob on the floor after the game if we don't if we don't win, win at least once. If we don't win at least once, he'll eat, he'll eat a doorknob. Well, he had already had a bakery make up a doorknob. You know, of cake. Of cake. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that created a lot of he, – he was – Coach Carlisle was – a person ahead of his time, it's a shame he never coached in college. I mean, he, uh, I think he would have been a great college coach at that time. Whether how did, he would today, I don't know. But How did those two games turn out? We won them both. Won them both. Do you recall any particulars of the games? Who was who was Indiana star players, or do you recall? I can't, I can't even remember. Sixty years, I told you, that's a long time ago, I suppose. So so now you're through with your high school days. You're getting ready to come to Kentucky. And right out of the box, you come to Kentucky as a freshman. Tell us a little bit, because your freshman year here, Kentucky won the title by never leaving the state. But back then, you had a freshman team, and freshmen were ineligible right, to play. Right. Tell us a little bit just about the freshman team that you played on that year. Well, we started with, uh, I'll forget somebody now, Ned Jennings from Headquarters, Kentucky. Dick Parsons from Yancey, Kentucky. <laughs> Me, Bobby Slusher from Four Mile, Kentucky. Uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, we had Hired Dardine from Indiana, Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, your, co- your coach was Harry? Harry. Lancaster. Yeah, that's all you had back in those. Now we had another. Uh, before we get into the varsity aspect, uh, t- was there anything? Did you ever scrimmage the varsity? Oh, yeah, or did you go up against them? And uh, yeah. tell us a little bit about that, how it was going up against 
a team that would ultimately be the national champions. Well, we beat them one time. Uh, they may not admit it, but it was written up in the Herald Leader, so it's got to be gospel now if it was written up in the Herald Leader where we beat the varsity. Normally, I mean, we couldn't beat the varsity if they played up to their capability, but we were a pretty daggone good team. We lost one game, and uh, that was to Itawamba Junior College, and we played down in Owensboro. But back in those days, you only played junior colleges primarily. You didn't play. We played Vanderbilt was the only SEC team we played, and we played home and home with them. Uh, you went in, obviously, uh, with Memorial Coliseum well introduced back in, I think, 50-51 in that area there. Uh, tell us a little bit about the training facilities. If you had an injury, you sprained an ankle, you put ice on it, you put a brown paper bag uh, uh, that had been dipped in vinegar as the granny tells go, or what What kind of training facility did you have? it up pretty good. We did have two whirlpools, but nobody ever wanted to admit they were hurt, you know. Well, why is that? Well, they would uh, not treat you kindly or speak of you kindly. I, I would say speak of you kindly. Now, you say they, are you referring to Coach Rupp? Coach Rupp and Coach Langster, yeah. You didn't want to tell them that you were hurt. I'm getting ahead of myself, but my junior years when I had a leg problem, and I would wrap it up in my own with an ace bandage. I don't think it did any good, but I wrapped it up, and they would, you know, ridicule. Well, ridicule is a hard word. That's not quite right. But they thought you didn't want to practice. You were dogging it and didn't want to practice. And uh, so... What, did you have a weight room? Did you lift weights? What we did you do? The... There was no weight training, really. We had a medicine ball. It's the only thing we had, and we throw it, you know. Now, describe a little bit for the younger generation, the millenniums, what a medicine ball was. It's a big, heavy ball. Size of a basketball? No bigger than that. Bigger than and that. what did you do with no, it? You just throw it back and forth between each other. Now, we may have had a weight to put on your ankles to sit on a table and lift, but that wasn't a prescribed. Nobody said, you got to do 50 of these a day or 100 a day. It was just there, you know. Did you ever have a high ankle spring back then? Or I did. Now, poor old Ned Jennings had a history of high ankle sprains, and Ned paid for it. I mean, uh, the only time I heard him being defended really was uh, – uh, one of the varsity players was beating up on Ned, and here's poor Ned's out there trying to play limping around on an ankle. And Coach Rupp got after the varsity player for beating up on Ned. So. You're listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs and Billy Ray Licker. There's still much more to come with Oscar and Billy Ray, and there's so much more at oscarcombs.com. You can get all of Oscar's podcasts via oscarcombs.com or iTunes. Just hit subscribe on that podcast page at oscarcombs.com and the old man will magically appear on your mobile device or your laptop with a new podcast. In the coming weeks, you will hear interviews with Jim Host and Kenny Skywalker. As for now, Oscar continues with Billy Ray Lickard and Billy Ray tells us about the Auburn Shuffle. And we're not talking about Charles Barkley either. With us today is Billy Ray Lickard, All-American at Kentucky, uh, Twice 
all-state player at Lafayette High School. And Billy, after your freshman year, you go into your sophomore at UK, and you're immediately right out of the the box voted the SEC sophomore of the year. Uh, tell us a little bit about that second year at Kentucky or your first varsity season. Well, we had a good team my sophomore year. And one time we were ranked number one in the country for several weeks. And I think going into the NCAA tournament, we were maybe second in the country or third, I'm not sure. But we had a good team. We still had Johnny Cox left over from the national championship team, and we had Don Mills, so that helped us a lot. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, my situation, I was fortunate because playing a guard and a forward, uh, they lost a lot of players off the national championship team and actually lost four starters. So I hit it at a right time. Same way at Lafayette. When I was at Lafayette, when I became a sophomore in high school, they had won the state championship at Lafayette in 53, and they lost all those players. So uh, we started off uh, and were winning. And uh, a couple of, uh, in that streak, I don't know what we won to begin the season with, 12 or 13 games, I'm not sure. But uh, we beat Maryland in overtime. And Benny Kaufman, he was a junior college transfer. And we're, th we're three behind with just seconds to play. And we've got the ball out of bounds. And, you know, if you've ever played basketball or coached basketball, they would tell you in that situation, just get out of everybody's way. There's no way you can lose, you know. And that, that, in those days, was no three-point shot. Mm -hmm. And so Benny gets the ball and drives it the length of the four, floor. Big center for Maryland couldn't stand to see him shoot a layup, and he comes over and fouls him. Benny makes the field goal makes the free throw and we go into overtime and we beat Maryland. So that was one game in the streak. Uh, and then we suffered our first loss that year against uh, Vanderbilt, played at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, same gym they're playing in today. Uh, it's always a tough place to shoot, I thought, the way the goals were suspended in midair. And uh, so then we go on to uh, the rest of the season. We're winning, and we have played uh, Mississippi State at Mississippi State. And Mississippi State was a good team in those days. That's when Bailey Howe played for Mississippi State. And again, back in those days, there was no SEC tournament. If you don't win the league, you don't go to the NCAA tournament. So uh, they kept harping on us leading up to the game. If you don't score the first basket, you're going to get beat. Well, the winner of that game is going to win the league. Mm -hmm. And they kept telling them, if you don't score the first basket, you're going to get beat. So the game starts, we get the tip, and we're all standing out there throwing the ball back and forth to each other. Everybody was scared to shoot it. Nobody wanted to shoot the shot if we missed that was going to get us beat. So uh, we didn't play real well, but that was the day of the cowbells. And, uh, of 
course, they're ringing the cowbells continuously. Coach Rupp finally got mad about the cowbells, and he said, the next person that goes up and shoots a free throw, and you don't hand the ball back to the official and tell them you're not going to shoot till they quit ringing the cowbells, I'm going to take you out of the game. Well, poor old Johnny Cox gets fouled, and he hands the ball back to the official, not going to shoot. You know what the students then do then. They just read, ring the cowbells louder and longer. Finally, Babe McCarthy gets up, takes the microphone, and says, uh, Now, you all, Mr. Cox says he's not going to shoot till you quit ringing the cowbells. Say, go ahead and quit ringing them because he's going to miss it anyway. <laughs> and? <laughs> and he made it. So, but they never quit ringing the cowbells. But. So so we go through that sophomore year, and we get into junior year where you really are looking forward to it and uh, things are going pretty well, and then you have an injury. And I don't know how it happened, but I had a calcification of my muscle in my left leg, and I couldn't bend my leg, uh, and I couldn't jump as well, and I played – four or five, maybe six games that I shouldn't have played. And, uh, and in fact, I had a 1956 or 57 Volkswagen, and I tore up the carpet trying to get in and out of the car, you know, on the, under the door uh, because I couldn't bend my leg. And so anyway, they finally hospitalized me, and they ran some... Uh, uh, medication intravenously and it took I don't know four or five days and I was in the hospital a little bit longer than that so I missed some, some games uh, during that uh, junior season probably one of the biggest wins you had as a Wildcat December 28 1959 Ohio State University ranked number one and a team that eventually won the national championship. What do you recall about that game? Well, that's the game most people remember that I played in. And uh, this is when Jerry Lucas, John Havlicek, Larry Siegfried, Mel Noel, Joe Roberts, all five of them played in the NBA. And we played them in the Coliseum, and, and we got behind by 14 points, I think it was, at halftime. We go into the locker room at halftime, and all Coach Rupp talks to about he's talking to Harry he's not even talking to us and he said what are we going to do Harry they're going to score 100 points on him which nobody had ever done and the Coliseum scored 100 points and he kept saying that what are we going to do we got to let the air out of the ball we got to do something and so we're just kind of muttering to ourselves well he's already given up on winning the game all he's worried about is 100 points well <laughs> we go out second half and they tell us we're going to run the Auburn Shuffle. Auburn was noted for their shuffle. Well, the Auburn Shuffle, you keep turning it over, the ball over and you're taking up time, and, and it worked. So we ended up winning the game 96 to 93 or something in that vicinity. So in looking back on it, I never, I think in my mind, I know what I think, but... Uh, you think about it, they had 54 points at halftime. If they don't score 100, 
you know, we got a chance to win, which is what the, what it turned out. So was that Coach Rupp's psychology, or was that just the way it worked out? Good time to talk about what it was like playing for both Coach Rupp and Coach Lancaster. Uh, what do you remember most about the good and bad of Adolph Rupp as a coach? Uh, well, I got along with Coach Rupp fine. Uh, Coach Rupp, to me, worked on your mind more than anything else. And, uh, and uh, Coach Lancaster was the more uh, physical guy, if you want to put it in those terms. But they work good together. You, I'm not answering your question directly, but uh, but uh, I had the advantage of playing for Coach Carlisle. Like I say, Coach Carlisle and the Rupp didn't get along real well, but they were a lot alike in a lot of ways. And uh, so going back when it was early at Lafayette, people used to tell me now, Coach Carlisle, he can be pretty rough. But if he gets after you, you just remember that he thinks you can play. If he didn't think you could play, he wouldn't be getting after you. There but, was, but Coach Rupp wasn't uh, abusive in any way at all. Abusive there again. I'm using words that are kind of strong. But Coach Carlisle would be pretty physical with you. Again, I'm getting off the subject. But Coach Rupp... Uh, psychology, working on your mind, getting you ready to play. There was none better, I don't think, than Coach Rupp. Did you ever remind Coach Rupp of the time when you were a young kid yeah. going into practice one day? I guess you probably wasn't any more than maybe 10 or 12 years old or something. Yeah, I reminded him of that. And what? Tell us what the incident well, and then what I his was, response was. Like I say, I grew up, you know, my dad worked for the university. We got to go to the games when the Fabulous Five played. Back in those days, they had A and B tickets or maybe A and B for staff members. So he'd get a ticket for every two games or every three games or something. So I had the advantage of, or opportunity to go watch Kentucky play or practice. Uh, but anyway, they had an open scrimmage one day in that old alumni gym. and Somebody had given me the book, Rupp's Championship Basketball. So I'm sitting up there in the stands, players are out there warming up. I look over at Coach Rupp. He's standing over on the sideline in his khaki warm, uh, outfit. And I said, well, he's not doing anything. I'll go get him to sign my book. So I take my book, start walking across the end of the court, and a ball bounces toward me. Well, if you're not 10 years old, what are you going to do if a ball comes toward you? I drop my book down, caught the ball, took a shot, and it hit the side of the backboard, bounced back to me. I said, well, maybe I can do better. So I shot it again. Again, I missed it. Picked my book up and started walking over there, and he saw me coming. He says, who do you think you are? You get the heck out of my gym. You're interrupting my practice. And so I picked my book, went back up in the stands. I took it later 
down to the office and got him to sign it for him. But I did remind him of that. And was what was it? When did you remind him? When you were playing well, at Kentucky? Well, I think sophomore, yeah, when I was playing. And what, what was his reaction? Oh, of course, he didn't remember that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but Coach Rupp treated me fine. I have no nothing bad at all to say about Coach Rupp. I mean, how important was Harry Lancaster to the program, and was he a good cop to bad cop in coaching? Good cop, bad cop. When you were a freshman, Harry was the meanest man to ever lived. In fact, when I was inducted into the UK Athletic Hall of Fame, and I was thinking about what I was going to say, and I wanted to, because I like Coach Lancaster. I, again, I got along with him, mean, mean. <laughs> but uh, his daughter, I saw her, she came to the program. And I said, Tony, I'm thinking about saying that your dad was the meanest SOB I ever saw. I said, would that bother you if I said that? She says, no. I said, that's the truth, wasn't it? <laughs> the thing that a lot of people today would like to sort of gather from history is what it was like traveling in the 40s and 50s and 60s throughout the country when you played basketball. Train, bus, automobile, horseback. Well, we flew plane uh, uh, basically all the time. And we were probably one of the few teams that did that back in those days. Well, what type of plane? Well, DC-3? We used to fly DC-3. It was uh, Purdue University. You know, Purdue University had an aeronautical school. And so it was their planes. And uh, so uh, other than the time we went to California where we got to fly on a real plane, a jet that time, we flew that DC-3. I don't forget when we... We went out there and played UCLA and Southern Cal, and we flew a jet from St. Louis out there, and we flew a jet from L.A. back to Chicago. But when we got Chicago, we had to get on that little old DC-3, and this was in the wintertime. That's the a prop was job. Cold. Oh, yeah. And that plane was colder than the Dickens, and uh, it was a sharp contrast between that and the jet, but uh, but we we traveled. You know, they used to say that that's the reason Bay McCarthy went to Bay McCarthy, Bailey Howe went to Mississippi State because he didn't want to fly. And uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I used to hear that. But uh, you know, that was one of the things we always felt like we were better, maybe than other people because we flew, we ate good meals. So you're saying we, Kentucky was Kentucky even in the 50s? It was. Tell me one of your favorite road trips from beginning to end, how you traveled, what went on, where you stayed, the uh, the facility you played in. What, what one do you remember most? Uh, well, I'd probably say that trip to California. Because that was one of the few times we did something other than go to the site, eat, sleep, practice, play, you know. But when we went to California, we got to go to Disney World. Coach Rupp went to Disney World with us. We went to, I think it was Tennessee, Ernie Ford TV or radio show. Uh, did you win both your games there? Well, we won 
one out of two. We did he blame the sightseeing as the reason <laughs> for the other one? I can't remember. He probably did. <laughs> but, uh, but that was, you know, unique because most of the time, you know, when you, even when you flew like they do, well, not like they do today because we couldn't get from Baton Rouge to Lexington, you know, after a game. But, uh, but there wasn't, you know, uh, I mean, we got, we had the opportunity. I like to play in Chicago, Chicago stadium. That's probably my best game I ever played was in Chicago stadium against, against Notre Dame. And, uh, uh, you know, we got to go to Philadelphia. We never got to go to New York, which back in those days they were still uh, avoiding New York, you know. I think Rupp can't. said after the scandal that, you know, he would never play another game in Madison right, Square Garden. Right. And they pretty much lived up to that up until, I guess, the 90s. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Your least favorite, most favorite arena in the SEC, outside of Kentucky, obviously. Well, Least favorite place to play, I don't say it's necessarily the facility or the arena, but Mississippi State, that whole deal with the uh, cowbells and the dead skunk. and uh, Was the skunk during your tenure? Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was, uh, like I say, back in those days, you only played every other year at certain places. And so my sophomore year, I told you about that, and the cowbells and Johnny Cox. Well, they banned the cowbells after that episode. So uh, when we went back, we did everything wrong my sophomore year. Coach Rupp, uh, as I told you about, everybody's afraid to shoot the ball. Uh, so we go back my senior year. And we did everything outside of basketball. We wanted to run out on the floor at the same time Mississippi State because that gave them less chance to boo us and harass us. I mean, they were my sophomore year, they'd get the balls when we were warming up and they'd throw them up through the stands. We'd never have a ball to warm up with for a period of time. I mean, it was just a, a pretty undesirable atmosphere. So when we go back my senior year, we're doing everything Outside of basketball, how are we going to – so we came up with this. So they were, they were successful in playing the mind game with you oh, to a yeah, certain point. Yeah. So uh, that's when we took a wreath and left it – I think that's right. Took a wreath and left it there representing the death of the cowbell. And, uh, I mean, it was just, we, we didn't stay on the camp. First year we stayed on the campus and we stayed off campus. But anyway, then, I don't know if, I'm pretty sure that's right. It was the same year that they left the dead skunk on our bench when we left. You know, we beat them that year. But, uh, so that was my least, uh, I don't know if I had a favorite place to play. I mean, I like to play in. Well, I like to say I like to play in Chicago. I like to play in, uh, uh, but other SEC teams. I don't know if I had a favorite place to play it or not. Let's get to your senior year. You you come back. Uh, you you're really fired up to get into the '61 season. Uh, it's a roster that you know. 
Really interesting to look at. You had 16 players on the roster. Only three were from out of state. Uh, it was pretty common back in those days for it to be heavily populated with native Kentuckians. I think your only out-of-state players that year were Bernard Butts out of North Miami Beach, Florida, Roy Roberts from Atlanta, Georgia, and Vince Del Negro, Vinny Del Negro's father, by the right. way, from Springfield, Mass., and, and he left in the middle of the year. Uh, your seniors that year, Ned Jennings, Dick Parsons, Roger Newman, and yourself, uh, a couple of players on that team that's well-known around these parts were a sophomore named Scotty Basler, Alan Fellhouse, who's a junior from the, who's had a ton of brothers here. And then, of course, Herky Jr. was on that team. Tell us a little bit about Herky. Herky's a great guy. And considering he's Coach Rupp's son, you know, that could be a difficult situation. But we never had, everybody liked Herky. And we never had any problem with Herky, you know. We weren't afraid to say something maybe about Coach Rupp, you know, because I don't, to my knowledge, it never got back to Coach Rupp. And he was just a good teammate. He played hard, practiced hard. He didn't get a whole lot of opportunity to play. And I read somewhere here recently that Coach Rupp said he regretted that, that he didn't give Herky more opportunity to play. Well, he could have probably said that about several people. But Herky was a great guy. and uh, You had a, had a great senior season. In fact, uh, two of your three most productive games point-wise was that season. You had 29 in back-to-back games against St. Louis and Missouri. Uh, you went uh, to the NCAA tournament. You uh, had a big game against Moorhead. Tell us a little, just a, a wrap-up of your senior season. Well, junior year, you know, was a disaster. Like I told you at Lafayette, we expected to go to win the state tournament. That was our goal. That's your goal if you came to Kentucky, was to win uh, the national championship. And so when you have a season like we had our junior year, it's pretty disappointing. You feel like you've let everybody down. And so we started our senior year, and you mentioned Roger Newman. Roger uh, was, I think, I think he qu- quit twice during his career, and he didn't come back af- after playing his freshman year till he was a senior. And uh, but Roger was a tremendous player. And I say if Roger had played three years, everybody would know who Roger Newman was. But it took us a little while because Larry Percival was a junior. And so it took a little while for everybody to kind of gel and get where we could play with each other. So at the end of the year, we turned out to be a pretty good team. And... uh, and then we get to go to the NCAA tournament, not because we won the champion, uh, SEC, but because of the integration or issue where Mississippi State wouldn't go. And uh, so we played Moorhead State in the first game and beat them. Interesting thing to me, everybody talks about playing interstate schools and all that. Coach Trump never made an issue of playing you know, we're playing now. We can't get beat by Moorhead, you know. Never made it. You just treated that just like any other game. You went through the same routines. 
Same way about playing integrated teams. You know, we did play integrated teams back in those days, not in the SEC, but if we played Ohio State or uh, some of the Big Ten schools, they had the black athletes. Never heard the first word about playing against a black athlete when I was at UK. We just treated everybody the same. But we turned out to be pretty good, but then we planned to play Ohio State in the uh, finals of the Mideast region. And we'd beaten them the year before in Lexington. They basically got the same beat team back, and they adjusted to the Auburn shuffle, and uh, uh, <laughs> we, we didn't have another answer like the Auburn shuffle. That last game against Ohio State, after the game, you leave the floor, you go in the locker room. What was it like? Well, uh, pretty sad. I mean, knowing it's your last game, knowing ever. that it's all over, you know, and uh, and you lost. I mean, it's not a pleasant atmosphere, but uh, you were uh, then drafted by the. L.A. Lakers, I think it was only their maybe their second or third year in L.A. having moved from Minneapolis in the fifth round, 45th pick overall. Uh, take it from there. Well, you know, it's nothing like it is today, you know. And when I was drafted, I got a phone call from Lou Mose, who was the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers. And um, we talked about different things, and he said, well, we'd like to have you. And uh, I, I had a bad agent, as me. <laughs> <laughs> but they offered me $9,000 a year plus a $1,000 bonus if I made the team. The 9000 wasn't guaranteed. I had to make the team in the first place, and I got a $1,000 bonus. Well... I've told you I was married, had a wife, had a son by that time. I told him, well, they wanted you to come out there and try out in June. Well, I'd already started to work. You know, this was first part of June, I guess, when they called. And I graduated in May. I went to work. I had to go to work the day after I graduated, you know. And uh, so I'd already started to work, and I said, I can't do that unless you give me some guarantee. And he said, well, we don't do that. And of course, at the Lakers at the time had Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. And he told me, West and Baylor both work in the off season. They work for the great Western finance company. <laughs> it's not like it is today, you know, where these guys are making millions. And he said, we just, we just don't do that. And I said, well, I can't come. I got to eat. My family's got to eat. And uh, so he called me back later, and he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, we'll give you a job in the offseason just like Western Baylor have. You can work for the Great Western Finance Company. And if you don't make it, make the team, you can still work for the Great Western Finance Company. So I thought about that for a little bit, but I said, Great Western Finance Company doesn't know me from Adam. The only way they would know me if I played for the Lakers. And I didn't think that was too secure. And I was happy with what I was doing. And I told him, no, I can't do that. And he said, well, I'm going to call you back in the fall. 
if you will come out and try out in the fall. I said, well, I'll come if you give me a contract, but I'm not coming up. We'll continue with Oscar and Billy Ray Lickard in a second, but the way to stay up to date with Oscar's unique perspective on Wildcat Athletics is oscarcombs.com and on Twitter at Wildcat News. You heard Oscar and Billy Ray talk about what it was like to play for Coach Rupp, but let's hear what it was really like to play in Memorial Coliseum. And then you're going to hear about a discrepancy that caused Billy Ray Lickard to be an All-American at Kentucky. You're listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs. Back with our good friend Billy Ray Lickert, All-American at UK, 1960-61. Billy, you've been attending games at Rupp Arena now since 76. See you in the end zone just about every game with your wife Sue. Tell us a little bit about the difference of the crowds and how they reacted in the old days of the Coliseum in the 50s versus the Rupp Arena of today. Are the crowds different? I know in the old days, everybody came like they were going to Sunday church. Coat, tie, dress. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I mean, if you look at pictures of the crowd back during the time I played, that's what you're seeing. Everybody, you don't see many people. Now, that depends on when you took the picture, obviously, but, you know, everybody's there prim and proper. But... I think games in the Coliseum for the good opponents uh, were terrific. I mean, if you went to a basketball game at the Coliseum, you went to go to the basketball game. You would get there early. Games in Rupp Arena, you know, it's kind of a social gathering. You got the hotel and you got the bar and, you know, you got different things going on and you don't see people you still see people coming to their seat after the game starts in Rupp Arena well you didn't see that in the Coliseum but uh, oh I can I, I don't know which games I'm talking about particularly but uh, but the crowds are at uh, Memorial Coliseum were great I think it was a wonderful place to play basketball still do but you can't fault Rupp Arena's crowds. I mean, when you think back, uh, I remember the Nevada-Las Vegas game when Tarkanian was coaching, uh, the Kansas game, different games in Rupp Arena. I mean, Rupp Arena crowds are great. And and uh, What do you think about the state of the program today, Calipari's run from 2009-10 to now? And where it's headed for the future. Well, I think as long as Coach Cal's here, he's going to have good teams, great teams, and be competitive. Uh, whether they're going to win any more national championships, I don't know. It's tough to win one in the first place. And uh, this whole thing about one and done and what's the advantages of that versus uh, uh, if you look at uh, Villanova's team last year, they had no one-and-done players. They had four-year players. That worked for them pretty well. So I don't know if one-and-done as far as winning national championships is the way to go, but 
I don't fault what Coach Cal is doing at all. Uh, it's just a different time. I told you when I when I played, we didn't know who the NBA was hardly. When I was in grade school and high school, we wanted to play for Lafayette. We wanted to play for UK. Our goal was to win a championship at both of those places, and we had a chance to do that. So that's what I'm a little old-fashioned. That's what I like to see. But John Calipari says one of his goals is to catch UCLA in national championships. Well, I've heard that, and that's good. I hope he does. You think it will happen? I think it would be great. Uh, I don't know if anybody I'd rather have attempted it than Coach Calipari. Best player you ever competed against at UK? was Jerry West, West Virginia. In your lifetime, of the players you've seen, and you said you got to watch the Fabulous Five, so that takes care of most of the history, not all of it, but most of it. Who's the best player to wear the Kentucky uniform for his time in Kentucky? Oscar, I think we've talked about this before. You can't compare the Fabulous Five with uh, Anthony Davis's national championship team. It's just not. So when, you know, I, I grew up back in the days of, uh, of uh, the Fabulous Five and, and Hagen and Ramsey and, and then watched the Dampier and, and uh, Riley and them. Uh, but the greatest player, I mean, for his time, Anthony Davis has to be, for his time, the best player probably I ever saw here. Two questions. One is one we don't like to think of, and the other one we want to live forever. Your biggest disappointment as a Wildcat? Biggest disappointment, we didn't win a championship. That's what I say, what we played for. And your biggest thrill as a Wildcat? Probably that Ohio State game. How would you like to be remembered as when people turn through the history books today, tomorrow, 20 years from now? What would you like people to know about Billy Ray Lickard? Well, he was a good basketball, a good, I don't say a great, a good basketball player. I'm talking about a basketball player. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Uh, all this talk now today about positionless players. Well, that's what I consider myself to have been. I could play multiple positions. I could play defense. I could rebound for my size. Uh, so I would like to be remembered as a good basketball player who gave it all and represented the university, my family, uh, as best I could. When you left here in 1961, for the next 44 years, you were not listed in the media guide as an All-American from Kentucky. Ten years ago, Kentucky, through the NCAA, was revisiting history on who was legitimate All-Americans and who weren't, and we discovered that Adolph Rupp in his days had a level you had to reach before he considered one of his players an All-American. And his level that you had to attain would be either first or second team on a five-man team All-American squad. 
the NCAA took that and said it should be first three teams, and you didn't make the second team Helms Foundation All-American in 1961. What, what went through your mind when you discovered 45 years later that <laughs> you, along with five other Wildcats, including Mike Pratt and Bobby Watson, Thad Jarris, or a couple more, suddenly you were All-Americans? Well, like anybody else, I'm pleased to my name is in a book somewhere and it's got that designation. But as far as, I, like I said, I just wanted to be remembered as a good basketball player who gave it all for, to represent the school, my family. And, uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, like anybody else, I'm tickled to death that somebody Dug that up. Thank you very much, uh, Billy. Appreciate it very much. Well, I enjoyed it very much. <laughs>